Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Galit Speaks podcast. I have a very special guest today who I'm super excited about, Afsane Moradian. Uh, Afsane is a homeschooling coach and an author of the beloved picture book series, Jamie is Jamie, which has sold over 15,000 copies internationally and has become a classroom and home library favorite. As a homeschooling coach, she guides adults by giving them the language to communicate effectively with their children, empowering them to create learning spaces that are safe and inclusive so children can thrive. Afsane is a doctoral candidate in education and has a master's in edu education. As an educator and curriculum writer for over 20 years, she has worked with hundreds of students from preschool to graduate level. She has led various teacher training workshops and appeared on the Consciously Parenting Podcast, Authority Magazine, Mamas at Work Podcast, USLA Radio, Indigo Radio, and more. She enjoys homeschooling her child in New York City and Oaxaca, Mexico. So thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited about this. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so lucky to get to talk to you. Yeah, so how did you get into this space? I feel like it's so needed and and we're in um, a climate where people just don't understand how to talk to their kids and and how to how to do what's right for them. And it's so politically charged. Like, what made you want to do this? Well, I think it's a common story. You know, once you have a child and the child has needs, you would move mountains to meet your child's needs, give them, you know, what, what makes them happy. And when my kid was very young, they were born, my, I have a non-binary child. And when they were born, they were born female and they just never identified with girly stuff, with girly toys. Like, you know, we have this joke, someone gifted my um, kid when they were uh, like around one, one of those baby dolls that cry when yeah. you hug them. And my child used their thumbs to like open up the chest and take out the voice box and pull out all the stuffing. And you know, it was like no interest in playing house. If they played house at preschool, my kid wanted to be the chef, like no interest in like being the mom or the dad or any of that stuff. So my child just couldn't see themselves in any of the picture books that we had because there's some awesome feminist picture books and there's all kinds of books about caring and sharing and being accepting and all this stuff, but actually a character that reflects the spirit of not identifying or not really falling into how we kind of identify or define being a girl or being a boy. It's just, you know, there really aren't that many, or there weren't that many options then. Now, luckily there are a lot more. So I wrote um, the first book, Jamie is Jamie. It's just a kid that goes to preschool and plays with everything and everyone and has fun and is free to be themselves. And we just have no idea if Jamie is a boy or a girl, if Jamie's trans, non-binary, Jamie is whatever the reader needs Jamie to be. And so it's, it enables a lot of kids to see themselves in the story and feel that, that um, freedom. And also the focus is on what does it mean to be a really good friend? And so if we can create more gender neutral spaces for young children, it opens it up for them to explore, explore their creativity and develop themselves 
without any restrictions or any like this, you know, these are boy toys and these are girl toys. And I know a lot of parents don't do that, but the stores and the toy aisles really, really, really do do that. It's still the pink and blue packaging. Even with Legos, there's Lego friends for the girls and the regular Legos are for the boys and kids pick up on that stuff. And then adults, when they're buying presents for other people's children, they think, oh, what would a five-year-old girl like? I'm going to get a doll. Oh, what would a five-year-old boy like? I'll get some trucks. So we, the adults, we still hold on to those gender stereotypes and we keep giving them to new <laughs> generations of children. And so I wanted to write books that give kids the freedom to be themselves, to know that whoever they are is amazing and fantastic and we love you for who you are. And just a gentle reminder to the adults to maybe not go so hard in what they think girls and boys should be like and want and play with and that and that sort of stuff. So the series developed from there because, you know, with that, there's a lot of things that come up like pronouns. And, you know, a lot of young children are very clear about who they are and who, you know, what they would like their name to be, what gender they identify with or lack of a gender and what their pronouns are. And so again, kids don't really have a problem with that. It's more a gentle reminder to the adults. Let's yeah. give people a chance to say their pronouns. Let's pay attention to chosen names, chosen pronouns. Pronouns can change, names can change, genders are, you know, can change. Let's make it okay for everyone to be who they are at this moment and give the space for that to change, but to be respected in the process. And so the second book is all about you know, people, Jamie and Bubby, people's pronoun, a book about people's pronouns is what we call them. And, um, and then the third book that just came out this past summer is um, about self-advocacy. How, how can young children tell adults what they really think and feel, which is so hard when parents, grandparents, aunts and uncle, you know, the adults in, in a child's life have expectations, have strong opinions, and so how can a child say, I don't really like that thing, or I don't really want that thing, or, you know, I really feel like crying, even though you tell me, you know, boys don't cry. I really, I need to cry sometimes and you need to like, let yeah. me. So it's a, it's a book about, you know, sharing, here I can show the cover. It's a book about sharing with adults and how to, how to do that and how to make that um, okay. So that's the series. The series is really focused on that. And they kind of get influenced by what comes up in kids' lives, what comes up in my own child's life, and you know, some things that come up with extended family, <laughs> you know, the yeah. expectations and this idea like we should be training our children to behave and think in a certain way. And kids are wired differently and they experience the world differently. And we, you know, new generations of parents just aren't doing that. And older generations who were parents have to kind of accept it. <laughs> Just, yeah. kids, are, kids are a bit different. At, we're raising them to be more outspoken, more confident, to name their feelings, to express their needs. We're not teaching them to just, you know, be quiet on the couch so we can visit with our friends, right? <laughs> Although yeah. that, that seems like it'd be easier <laughs> than yeah. what we have to do. <laughs> Although it created some very screwed up generations. So I think it in the long run, like in short term, maybe that seems easier, but in the long run, it has definitely not been a benefit to us. Right. No, definitely. And we we see the 
we see the need all of the time to have independent, critically thinking people who do not just accept everything they see online or whatever they hear, right? There's a constant need to fact check, to question, to investigate for yourself, to form your own opinions. And it's really hard to do that as an adult if as a child, you're not encouraged to think for yourself. If you're not asked what you like, what choice you would make, what would you decide? And to be empowered and given that agency as a child within the safety of, you know, adult supervision and adults being part of the conversation, it's really, it's really hard to grow up to trust yourself and, you know, know really what you think and feel. So there's a, there's a gap in between there, right? Teenagers, some teenagers can think for themselves and others, you know, are very influenced by peer pressure, right? So yeah. there's, there's different stages along the way where you want your child confident to know what they think and know who they are, even if it's different than everyone else. And that, yeah. that is, that is you want them to feel safe to come to you. And if you didn't make them feel safe as a child to come to you, went with much smaller issues and, you know, basic things, then how much more so they're not going to feel safe when it comes to like these bigger issues or when they're undergoing peer pressure from their friends or, you know, and they're, and then it becomes an unsafe situation. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's something that like, you know, the the third book about self-advocacy, all the books have like tips for adults in the back. And there's also um, teacher's guides that go along with them. Um, and for the, the book about self-advocacy, about sharing with adults, I kind of touch on it, but it's it's that if you don't open the door about the little things and pay attention to the little things, it's hard when an adult is taking advantage of a child for the child to come to you. So as long as a child has at least one adult that they trust, that they feel safe talking to, they're okay. And we, we see the urgency of that for LGBTQIA plus kids because yeah. it's, it's too easy to make that this group of children feel like there's something wrong with them. Like when their pronouns aren't respected, if their chosen name isn't used in school or in any setting, they feel like there's something wrong with them, that they're not supposed to have their pronoun that they have, right? Because their existence isn't being respected. So it just leads to a whole bunch of, you know, depression, mental health issues. And so important, you need to have a strong connection. That's what we see over and over and over again. Kids need strong, loving connections to at least one adult, preferably more. So it really puts it on us to not be so quick to dismiss why a child is upset or when a child is saying something about who they are. Like, you know, a child can know that they're trans three, four years old. And if they, you know, say that to their parents and the parents are like, oh yeah, whatever, that's just a phase, ignore it. <laughs> that's, that's not really going to help build that trust. And yeah. so, and, and I love that your books are so like, it's so tangible and it's so visible because we know how much representation matters. I mean, I remember me growing up. Um, so I have like two pieces of this, right? Um, one is I was a girl and I hated pink, but 
everything that I got was pink. And clearly my favorite color is blue. And like, I could not, I was not even allowed to explore that because blue is a boy's color. And like, also, uh, one of my birthstones is I'm in October. So like my birthstone was pink tourmaline. And so I literally got everything pink. And thankfully, I, I learned that the birthstone is also opal. So I've gravitated towards opal. But like, as a child, that was like, I felt like no one was listening to me, right? Like, why can't I have this stuff that I like? Why do I always have to get put in this color that like, I don't like and I don't feel like identifies with me. And then the other thing is being Middle Eastern, like my only representation in a, like anything was Jasmine from like right. Aladdin. And she doesn't really look like me, you know, like she kind of looks like me, maybe whatever, like maybe my cousin, but <laughs> but like it was it was hard because all of the other characters or all of my friends had characters that looked like them. And like, I just felt like I wasn't represented. And then being, I'm, uh, I went back and forth between America and Israel as a child a lot. And so I always felt like I didn't belong mm -hmm. in either place because like I wasn't Israeli enough or I wasn't American enough. And like, we were very Israeli at home and being in like a small, I grew up in like a small town um, in Long Island in New York where I was, there was maybe, I don't know, there was definitely no is, other Israeli families and maybe only other five Jewish families, 10 Jewish families at max. So like growing up, not seeing anyone Mm -hmm. that looks like you, sounds like you, has the same values as you is really difficult. And I like that you you opened it up a little bit more so that more people have representation. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I really hear what you're saying. I grew up in a mixed race, multicultural household and like I don't think I'll ever see a character that that you know reflects exactly my 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 heritage definitely and I think I think it's very um there's so much pressure the culture of so many schools is for everyone to be the same so as soon as you're not the same you're othered and probably you know bullied put down made to pay for being different. And that that just takes so many different forms. It definitely, you know, I could say that I hope it's getting better in a lot of places, but I think it's uneven across the US. Um, I think a lot of things are uneven across the US. And I think that goes for race, it goes for features, it goes for names, it goes for, you know, sexual orientation and gender, it goes for, but it also goes for like the goth kid that, doesn't want to look like everyone else or listen to the music everyone else is listening to. Right. And those, those are the, those are the people who I always think like they end up being the troublemakers, like the change makers. Right. So if you don't feel compelled, like if, if you can say, I, I see what everyone else is doing, but that isn't for me and that's not who I am. And you can be okay with that. You can honor that. And you can like, 
be okay existing in the world, then you're not going to put up with being disrespected in other places, right? So like, who are the people who start the union drives in their workplaces? Who are the people who are calling for demonstrations to gain, you know, make sure everyone has access to all the healthcare that they need and, you know, the calls for bodily autonomy and things like that, right? Like we need people who think, you know, we say, I think outside the box is so cliched, but like it, it really matters, right? And then the people that are so focused on fitting in tend to lose themselves and aren't really sure why they're fitting in. What are they fitting into and who are they and what is their relationship to the world around them? So I think it, I think it's so important that kids are recognized for who they are as individuals. And it's, it's one reason why as a homeschooling coach, I tend to focus on families with neurodivergent kids. Because they are, they are so awesome. They refuse, they absolutely refuse to conform. There is no way you're going to get a kid who's wired differently to do that homework assignment that is tedious and boring and awful. (laughs) Just, they're not going to do it. They're not going to put their shoes on. They're not going to, you know, go along with a pronoun different than their pronoun. They're, they're not going to hide in the closet in any, in any figurative sense of a closet, right? So they demand not just, you know, it's all like awareness. It's it's not, they demand acceptance and they demand respect because this is who they are and they, they can't and they won't change who they are. So I love that. Then like what I wanna do is give them and give their parents like the an education that fits their, that fits their needs. But I think that all kids need that. Like all kids need to be able to demand respect and to be validated for who they are because each kid is is an intellectual being and they're individuals and they have likes and dislikes and fears and you know anxieties and things they want to talk about and it's it's tough i don't think that we have enough time in the day and i don't think there's enough importance in our society placed on children and like who they are as individuals and what they need and all that sort of stuff so you know I think I think it's something that we're discussing more and more, and I think that's exciting. So, yeah. So I'm curious, like, what are the first steps that you take to create these like safe spaces? So if somebody's trying to do this at home right now, what are some of the steps that they can take to create a, a safe and inclusive environment in their home, in their school, in their community? So having for younger children, um, having a variety of activities that are more hands-on and intellectual, and that includes kitchens, but like, you know, boys should learn how to cook too, right? (laughs) Like it's not gender specific. And I think, you know, I, I know it's done less, but calling a boy a prince and or a king and calling a girl a princess and getting all the princess stuff. It's that doesn't really help have a sense of you as a person because princesses are really how you look and what you wear. It's not really what you do and who you are. So staying away from some of that stuff and Disney has, you know, veered away from that. I wouldn't say they've left it completely behind, but Disney has gotten the memo that kids actually like different things now, right? And Disney's doing these like 
pretty awesome, way more progressive movies. So we can, you know, can follow that. It's not impossible to find those kinds of toys, but things that you build, things that you create, things that you make are so conducive to growing a child's um, imagination. And that's really what you want. You really want a child developing their hands, developing their ideas, problem solving. That's really, there's so much learning that takes place with play. And with older kids, I think it's that also. You really want children making stuff with their hands and problem solving and, and figuring stuff out. But it's also having conversations with kids about what they're doing and why they're doing it and what they think and having a conversation as if you were talking to your best friend, like that you genuinely are interested in what they have to say and you're not making assumptions. So you're not making assumptions, oh, a child likes this because of their age and their gender. And you're not making assumptions that they don't like something, right? So you're really getting to know them and what they think. And with older kids, if you have, you know, kids in a room, even, you know, even younger kids do the doing those introductions of what is your name and what is your pronoun and what is something you like? What is something you don't like? What's something you're afraid of? Because everyone's afraid of something and just creating spaces where people can share who they are as individuals and where that is celebrated becomes really important. So connecting with the individual then builds up the trust. So even, even if it's your child and you're like, oh, I know everything about my child. I promise you, you don't know everything about your child. Because if you ask your child about a book they love or a show they love, they can talk about it for two hours until you have zoned out and you just don't want to hear about it anymore. But they have so many ideas. It's hard to keep up with it. So I think that becomes really important, not, not putting any limits on play or on learning, that letting a child go where they are interested in going without, oh, you can't wear that or you can't do that. You know, it, we can't put those limitations or say that what they're doing is wrong. We can say it's not safe. Right? We can jump yeah. in and, you know, protect them from hurting themselves. But or if they're, you know, need a little bit of help with another child to resolve a conflict. But it also helps to kind of stay back a little bit and see where where it can go and not assume it's going to be awful. Like give kids a little chance, unless it's very unsafe, but give them a right. chance to try it out, you know? So that I think that those things become really important and, you know, putting up their artwork on the wall, on the fridge, their writing, their ideas, really celebrating the things that they create and do is, you know, goes along a long, long way for creating that sort of thing. And I, I would caution against gender reveal parties. That's my other little pet peeve because you don't actually know what gender your child is. So, you know, I'm not saying don't have a party, but purple cakes are great. You know, go for purple and like let everyone know later on. Yeah. I actually have a friend who did a really great reveal party, but it was not, you know, pink and blue. It was not boy and girl. It was XX. XY party and the colors were yellow and green. And it was like, listen, it's a chromosomal party. <laughs> this is what my baby will be, but who knows? Exactly, exactly. And it's not even that we're like, oh, we're trying to be ultra sensitive or kill the fun. It's, it's that the second you have that gender reveal party with the blue and the pink, 
you are reinforcing the gender stereotypes that we are trying so hard to get past that we know limits and actually hurts our kids. So like, it is a very positive, important thing for young boys to have, to be caretakers too. So if that means a doll, if that means just caring for an action figure, it's, it's fine, but it's a really important human thing. We need our boys to feel their feelings. We need them to be caring, empathetic people. We're going to send them into the world as adults. We want them to be partners who wash the dishes, who notice when there's a mess and they pick it up, who spend time taking care of their children, who can think about meeting their children's needs and think about, you know, that people have needs and all the sorts of, those are skills that get developed over years and years and years. And so girls tend to be in situations where they're developing those skills more than boys are. And then it becomes a little hard as adults. And we want everyone to be really great roommates. Like whether or not you get married or have kids, you're going probably to be a roommate. And like, don't be the disgusting one that leaves the dishes and makes other people clean up after you, right? So I think it's thinking in, in that way. So when we put this like, because with it comes this fear, like, oh no, if if my child goes outside what is recommended for their gender, they're going to, I don't know what, right? Turn into a dragon. No, like They're going to be gay. Okay, well, there's nothing wrong with that, right? So you know, if you're validating, maybe they are, but actually playing with different toys does not determine your sexuality. Just like, you know, the, the far right is up in arms that if you read books about trans characters to young children, they will be trans. That is simply not how it works. Kids don't turn into, you know, flowers when you read a book about a flower, like you're learning and you're making friends and you're understanding there's lots of different people that exist in the world. And if that is how you feel inside, you're learning how to name it and how to express it and how to share it. And that's so important for existing. We have to know where we are in the world. We have to know what is happening with us. And there's, um, there's a fellow picture book writer who loves to say, um, Deborah Chris is her name. She loves to say, if you can mention it, you can manage it. And I love that. And I repeat that all the time. So we have to let our kids speak and learn the vocabulary to express it. Otherwise, they can't when they're adults. And then maybe their parents not able to express it and their kids are having big emotions and they don't know how to name those emotions or how to respond. And it's we, you know, we're trying so hard, like this, this generation of parents, it's not, you know, I'd say like 20 something year olds into 40 something year olds, we're trying really hard to break generational trauma, to break cycles, to raise, you know, as close to emotionally healthy children as we can, which is so hard to do because nobody's perfect, but we're really trying. And there's all these picture books that reflect that effort. And so we, you know, we need to do it in a, in a very holistic way. Yeah. And I will say that even um, like the parents that do reinforce these gender roles, sometimes it backfires. Like I will tell you with me, um, I grew up in a household where it was very religious and it was the girls do all of the work, right. And the boys don't have to do anything. They can just sit with their feet up and, um, 
I was like forced to bake and forced to cook and forced to clean. And it actually forced me the other way where in my adult life, like I refuse to do those things. And like I have in college, I started um, paying for a cleaning lady, having someone like paying to get my laundry done of just like, listen, that is not who I am. This is not who I'm going to be. And it actually harmed me because I actually really like cooking and really like baking. And I wasn't able to explore that until I became like a more fulfilled, healthier adult mm-hmm. where I was, I didn't have this, like, and I still have a little bit of this idea. Like I like to do it, but I don't want anyone to tell me to do it. Cause the second you tell me to do it, it's no longer fun. Like I want it to be something that comes from me and my desire to do it. Um, But I do, like I even did, uh, I took cake decorating classes, which would have been unheard of, but like, I actually really enjoy doing that. And because it was like forced upon me and said like, girls do these things and you're a girl, so you must do these things and you have to like it. It was just like, that's not my personality. Like I am someone who you tell me that I have to do something. I'm just like, why? why why me like what like I question everything so it it can actually completely go the other direction where someone who who likes doing those things will be like no I'm not going to do those things anymore because you forced me to do them oh definitely definitely and kids kids experience that all the time parents can tell you how much kids hate brushing their teeth It is something that is just forced, has to be done. There's no choice and they hate it. And then they look for so many kids, look for so many ways to cheat, you know, cheat the system, right? With the toothbrush and put it in the holder and I brush my teeth, you know, (laughs) like put a little bit of toothpaste and then put the, you know, the wet toothbrush away. I'm done. I'm done. So definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, we have to see these things. If you make it fun, they will want to do it. Like I had... At growing up, for specifically the teeth thing, I had an amazing dentist who, as a child, told me he had birds living in his nose and that <laughs> his mustache was their nest. And like anytime he he like touched his nose, he'd make bird sounds. <laughs> I absolutely loved going to the dentist, loved brushing my teeth because it was like fun. Like, oh yeah, that's the guy with the birds in his nose. It's gonna be an awesome time. <laughs> Right. Well, that that's that is very fun. I don't know that everyone is creative enough to make teeth brushing <laughs> fun, especially at the end of the day when we're just exhausted and we just want our kids to go to bed. But I but I do think what you said um, is really important, which is about the explanation of why. And this is something I work with parents a lot on with homeschooling because if it's about authority and power then the healthiest reaction that anyone would have is to fight that authority, is to fight someone controlling them. That is actually a really healthy instinct. We don't really want to raise our kids to be passive and docile and say, oh, okay, I'll do whatever you say. You can do whatever you want to me. I mean, that's that's just not really a healthy. Our, our kids need to know that they can have boundaries too. And when our kids resist, anything, they are establishing a boundary. When they say no, emphatically, they are establishing a boundary. Now that boundary might be 
totally ridiculous, right? Like a child will stop moving in the middle of the street and refuse to move and you have to pick them up and carry them, right? Like sometimes can't always respect that boundary in the moment. It's not safe. But if you're explaining the why, then it's not that a child has to do something because you're telling them to. They have to do it because there's this external objective reason. And then there's, a, it's called a natural consequence if you don't. So like with teeth brushing, okay, you have to do it because you ate food and the food's in your teeth and then bacteria is going to form. And let's, let's look at this book or this YouTube video about how cavities form so that you know. So you got to you gotta brush your teeth. You got to kill that bacteria or that's what's going to happen. So you take it away from you and your authority as the parent so that it doesn't become a power struggle. But the, you know, I keep, I keep talking about teeth, which is such a hard thing because if the kid doesn't brush their teeth, the natural consequence is cavities, but we have to pay for it. So we actually get that consequence. So this is something where, you know, games and there are timers and electric brushes and all kinds of tricks that parents use to do it. But definitely in general, anything that you really want your child to do, it makes sense to explain the why of it, especially with life skills. And taking care of themselves and like my what i say to my child who does not love to take you know take a bath or take a shower historically that's not been a, a favorite time of their life i always say just don't be the stinky kid in the room yeah. like that's just like all i ask of you is like don't be the stinky kid like i want you to have friends i want kids to be able to come near you so like you know as long as you're not the stinky kid in the room it's all good <laughs> so yeah and i will say the things that have stuck with me from childhood are the things that were explained to me. Everything else has been kind of, you know, learning on my own and, and having to deal with whatever consequences come up. But there are certain things that were actually explained to me, even in the terms of, you know, uh, I, I'm Jewish, um, I'm not religious, but there are specific things from the religion that I do keep because they were explained to me. And because it made sense to me and it still makes sense to me. Well, like now I'm vegan. So I'm, I'm very much always about the animals, but mm -hmm. there's this idea in Judaism that you don't mix milk and meat. And most people are just like, oh, that's weird. And you just say like, oh, we're just going to do it. You're going to follow it. And that's that. Cause that's just how it is. For me, it was explained to me no, it's because it's out of respect for the animal. We do not cook an animal in its mother's milk. And like hearing that as a child, that makes sense. Of course. Like, right. Yeah. I'm not going to do that because that sounds horrible. <laughs> and, you know, it's obvious later in life, me being vegan for the animals and like understanding, respecting animals in a whole nother level. But like that was something that stuck with me throughout my entire life. And even when I wasn't, you know, in the beginning, when I just wasn't religious, wasn't vegan, um, that was something I held on to. And so it sticks when you explain things. And it was explained to me as a very small child and it stuck way through adulthood. So it's possible. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. And the other thing that came up for me while you were talking was the idea of Legos from my childhood. 
and being that being completely different from the Legos of today. Because I loved Legos and I still love Legos, but I found that the Legos of today are different in that a lot of the creativity has been taken out of it. Like when I got Legos as a child, I got a box of just stuff and then I could make whatever I wanted. And it was just all the pieces and I could put them together in any configuration I wanted. And now it's like the Legos have a specific form that they're supposed to take. And it is a lot of times gendered or, you know, over a like a specific character or a specific theme. And and although I still do Legos as an adult, it's definitely it feels less creative. It feels less like I can make whatever I want and like I don't have that freedom. And so I can't even imagine what that would be like as a kid to that be your only option. Right, but it isn't. So yeah, the Lego sets, I mean, you can get a box of classic pieces still. Um, oh. But yeah, you okay. can. But Lego, you know, Lego's a, a business and they realized how much money they could make off of licensing and how much, you know, they can market to adults as well as kids and teenagers and have, you know, who doesn't want to have Hogwarts on your table or a tree house, you know, and all this really cool stuff, right? So you can make specific scenes from a Star Wars movie come alive through Legos, right? So yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I was like, what, what is going on? Like, this is not what we did, but um, you don't, you can still use the pieces however you want. So we have a, you know, a Lego land, we call it in our house. And some of it is built according to the instructions and some of it isn't. Some of it is a total free-for-all where my child had ideas and just took the pieces and built whatever. But it's very different because they're very specific, these like odd pieces that can only be used for like one or two things. Yeah. But I will say that you can get creative with it if you want. If your child doesn't want to get creative with it, it's actually a form of literacy. It's actually a really awesome thing to follow the instructions and you don't have to know how to read in order to follow them. And it's pre-literacy and it's following instructions and there's math and engineering involved. So you don't have to feel bad if your kid doesn't want to do it, but you can also show them the Lego movie and you can say, hey, you can be a master builder just like Emmett because Emmett built anything he wants and you can build anything you want and you can build stuff with your child. So, you know, we built a Lego house together as the first thing that was built. And it was very much the style that I did a million years ago in the eighties. And it, you know, was not super fancy, but it gave this um, introduction that you can do whatever you want with Legos right now. I'm not allowed to touch Legoland. If I try to build anything, I get, I get yelled at, I can't move a piece, I can't touch, I can't play, but I always have to play Legos with my child, but I have to sit far away and I can't actually do anything. So I feel like I'm missing out on some of the fun that hopefully other parents are having. But um, it there's there's two sides, there's two sides to it. So there's some really cool things that didn't exist when we were kids now, a ton of Lego food and accessories that are just awesome. And then, you know, there's always room for creativity for kids that don't care about the rules. 
and the kids who care about the rules, then they build it. And then hopefully they're playing with it and having that role play and, you know, imagination going on with it. So, you know, you can do a lot of stuff with it. My, my child got a hold of our tack, you know, for putting like posters on the wall yeah. and stretched it out and TP'd the Lego Hogwarts and won't clean it. So it's just like covered in big toilet paper. <laughs> you can you know even if you build according to the instructions you can still play with it however you want so. yeah you know my thought was okay so i actually had for my wedding i had a lego cake topper um and when i got it so it was actually given to me by a friend and she was like here build it and then you could have it as your cake topper which was amazing but it was missing a bunch of pieces and I was like, oh, and then I went to my other Lego sets, right? And I pulled out pieces. And like you said, they're weird shaped and they're only meant for like one thing. But having like the childhood that I had where like you build anything from anything, like I was able to recreate it almost even better than what it was supposed to look like with these other pieces that I had just, you know, taken from other sets. But I was like, what about the children that don't have this experience of like not having every single piece and like having to figure it out on their own? Like it felt like so limiting in that, like I got to have this additional creativity because I got to create from, you know, create without instructions and just figure out how I can make pieces fit together and still get what I wanted where to, you know, kids that don't have that anymore. And so they don't have that extra skill of like, you just got to put it together and figure it out. And if it doesn't look right, take it apart and figure it out again. <laughs> yeah, but so that, that can totally be creative. Like you can give a kid, it depends on the child's personality. There are some children who really want to follow the instructions and they want to follow the rules and they don't want to deviate and, you know, that's just like too big of a deal to do it. But if you have a kid that's, you know, can be a little more flexible with Lego. Also, kids get very, um, um, very, I don't want to say controlling. That's like a negative word. Kids care very much about their Legos. They care very much about who's touching them and where the, some children, how they're being used and who's touching them and what's happening with them and all that. So you have to respect your child. You don't want to send your child into, you know, high anxiety and a meltdown because you changed something, right? But if you can, or with other materials, it's really fun to give design challenges. It is, it's really fun to be like, you know, can you build a seesaw out of Legos? Like, what about if you make a playground? Like, yeah. here's some space, make a playground, right? And then it's not from a set and you have to figure it out. Or can you make a two-story house that has a roof that, you know, everyone can hang out on? like things like that. And you can do that if you don't have Legos are crazy expensive. So like, it's not to say that your child has to have Legos or they're robbed of a childhood. You can do that with pieces of paper. You can give a child a few pieces of, you know, blank paper and some tape and some staples and a, and a pair of scissors and say, create a monster yeah. or create, you know, a person that can stand or whatever, right? You give you give the challenge and then they can figure that out in their way with those materials. So there's a ton of 
There's a ton of ways to do that. They even sell like inventors boxes, but you don't have to go buy that either. Cause it's, I got one, I opened it. It's like, really? It's pipe cleaners and craft sticks. Like I have all this, <laughs> like, why did I buy that? What, what is this thing? So, you know, if it was full of circuits and, you know, LED lights, that would have been awesome. But it's, so there's a lot of stuff in your house. Never un underestimate how much you can do with dried pasta and dried beans. You can create a world with those things and some, you know, craft sticks and some straws or whatever. So it's really, if you want the child focusing on the creativity and the problem solving, then you don't need the bells and whistles. You really need the creativity. And if you don't have the creativity, because maybe you used to be creative, but now work and life has made you exhausted and sucked that out of you, you can go online and look at, you know, design maker ed it's called or maker space there's all kinds of design challenges that are really um awesome and fun and simple there are some that are more complicated but it's something that you know if there's time you can do it it's, it's also really fun if you do one too so that yeah. like your child is figuring it out and you're figuring it out and it's kind of a fun thing because there's no right or wrong answer so the whole point of fostering creativity and problem solving is that there can't be one way to do something or one right answer. As soon as there's only one way, it's like the lowest level of learning. So higher level learning is a child figuring things out. It's applying knowledge and skills to a brand new situation. So that means, you know, here are some materials, here's the task, figure it out. Right. And um, you know, you can do that in so many different forms. So it, that's what makes it fun and exciting. And, you know, when a kid gets into it, they can spend quite a bit of time making stuff and figuring it out. And maybe some, sometimes my child will get so into it that they ignore the original mission and just like go in their own direction and create like a whole village of paper people who are, you know, ha having dinners and then they have to make all the paper food and like, you know, that's awesome because they're busy, they're creating, they're figuring things out, they're figuring out how to do something. I get some peace and quiet. You know, it's all good. <laughs> like that's as much as we love our kids, we also really need them to be entertaining themselves in really productive ways so we don't feel guilty about all the screen time that they get. And so this wow. is a way like we can be near but not have to be involved because they're figuring it out and they're doing it. And if you want to do it too, that's great. And if not, you can be nearby doing what you need to do while they do it. And then yeah. getting and so excited about everything they do. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think it also gives them the agency to then be, you know, more in control of their, their selves and their self-advocacy as well, because this is like another thing that they're be able, they're trusted to do on their own and to figure out on their own. And so it kind of leads into, bleeds into other areas of their life, if you will. Yeah, definitely. We, we want our kids to feel like they're more than whether or not they wear a skirt, if their hair is short or long, whether or not they're wearing nail polish. Like we, we just don't want our kids' identities to be so tied to how they look and what shows they watch and what they play with. So you know, it's just something to to think about, because also with television, there's, you know, there's like girl shows and boys shows. And then there's some that are supposed to be for both. But, you know, not really <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to pick. On, I don't know about copyright issues, but, you know, there's a there's one show about dogs 
and there's like i think they may have added another female character but for a while there was one female dog and if you have like four male dogs to one female dog that species is dying out so that's not really how it is like you gotta make it a little more equal so you know there's a lot there's things are so much better than when i was a kid but there's so far to go with children's media with picture books with tv shows with films i mean now it's like very exciting because a protagonist needs to be um a child of color usually female there's probably going to be some sort of queer character in the show and you know there's disabilities that you that get represented now so there's you know that's really cool and exciting but we need it to like go even more, more and more and more and more and more and more, and more right? Yeah. So, um, but definitely it's way better than when I was growing up and um, everything was white and, you know, boy, this is for boys, this is for girls, this is, you know, the whole life of Barbie and, you know, even, even Barbie's gotten a lot more exciting. Bar the Barbie show on Netflix has wonderful values. I, I watch a few episodes and then I end up giving the same advice to friends of mine when they call me with a problem. I'm like, oh, I can handle this. And it's like really, you know, great advice. It's just, you know, it's Barbie, but yeah. So, yeah. so Barbie's not the root of all evil anymore. You know, That's to crazy. Some extent, right? you totally think of Barbie as being like, this is exactly what I do not want my child to be seeing. Yeah, I know. I know. And like, you know, I think that the eating disorder thing is a different show. It's a different thing to discuss. Right. Because but it's I think the less importance we put on our children's appearance, the better. That is a way better thing. And, you know, teaching them what it means to be healthy, how to take care of their bodies in every way and to know what you're putting in your body and what it does in your body. Kids, very young kids can handle very complicated ideas. They are very smart. They are intellectual beings from birth. You can explain to a very young child what food does in their body and how fruits and vegetables and protein gives you more energy for running and more you know, carbs and sugary food actually makes you tired. I mean, there's a lot of really awesome videos that explain that. Like my my kid as a as a toddler would go into a store and point, not real food, not real food. <laughs> because I said, like, if it doesn't mold, it's not real food and we're not going to buy it. Like, I would yeah. rather bake you cookies than buy the packaged stuff that has whatever in it, you know? So it was like, that's not real food. That's not real food. That is, real food. you know, so you can, you can introduce these ideas at a very early age that then they'll, they'll ignore all of it. My kid's a candy junkie now. I mean, they're not going to stick with it, but they'll have that education so that then when they do have to make important decisions, hopefully they won't be sick adults like me, you know, with chronic illness for the rest of my life, because I didn't know that stuff when I was, you know, growing up. my parents didn't know. So we just, we want to set them up to be successful and to be able to function in the world and try to find little pockets of happiness. And so that means understanding, having, you know, as much knowledge as possible, feeling empowered, feeling confident in who they are, trusting themselves and not looking to as much to external, right? Not doing things so you get the good grade or so you get the praise, but actually 
trusting yourself because you know that you're capable of figuring it out. You might not know it, but you know you're capable of figuring it out. You're capable of asking for help, of figuring out what the problem is and then figuring out what you need and then asking for help if you can't do it on your own. And that that's a totally different way of existing in the world than what I had. I don't know about you. <laughs> it's totally different than me. I wanted straight A's. If I didn't get straight A's and I came home with an A minus, why didn't you get an A? If it was an A, why didn't you get an A plus? And all this pressure to perform. And if we take that off of our kids, because that pressure to perform really, I mean, if you want to be honest, it's really about high school, right? It's the high school grades that determine college. So all that pressure that we feel as parents, it's really high school. You don't need to apply the pressure in third, fourth, and fifth grade to train your child to be under pressure. <laughs> They're just going to burn out. So you can let them be kids and explore and, you know, the grades and the reading groups shouldn't really matter as much as they do. And that's actually why a ton of parents are choosing to homeschool. It's just, yeah. there's just like these unreasonable expectations going on in schools right now. But anyway, that's the more we can teach our kids to get what they need from themselves and trust themselves and then ask, you know, be able to communicate to others what they need or what the problem is the the better off they're going to be right so that's that's what it's all about it's all about the skills the skills and the yeah, knowledge so i have kind of a, a off topic question <laughs> but still i want to know how to deal with the adults so the adults that you know don't respect pronouns the adults that you know because it's such a charged climate right now and these are like issues that have been forced into being hot button issues and by by really misinformation being spread um and and given over as fact how do we fight against that even just a little bit so one of the that's such an important question and i i wish i had a perfect answer because i i have extended family that does not use they them for my child even though i literally wrote a book about it. And that isn't like an ongoing discussion that I have with them, but also with my child about why they don't use my child's pronouns. And that, you know, my kid has a choice. They can correct them all the time or they can, you know, begrudgingly just like deal with the wrong pronoun, right? Which I see as like forcing kids back in the closet. And I think that's a lot of what's going on is like forcing kids to go back in this, you know, metaphorical closet that we worked so hard to get rid of and to not be comfortable and confident to be themselves and be who they are. So what can adults do about it, right? Those of us who get it and get the importance of it. So one of the, the attack against social emotional learning, SEL, is happening a lot on like the school board level, the library, you know, what books libraries can get, book bans, that sort of thing. And it really requires numbers. Like in order to be heard and make um, extreme sides feel less confident, you actually need to show up. So parents, so, okay, for example, there's this wonderful organization, Drag Story Hour, that has drag queens and drag kings um, reading picture, but they read my books to young children 
And then they do a really fun, they have a discussion and they do an activity. And it's this wonderful sort of magical event because the kids get to see beautiful makeup and clothes and hair and meet people they wouldn't normally meet. And it's all about growing inclusion and acceptance and exposure that people are different and you should love people for their differences and not be scared of the differences. And there are groups that will come and will, you know, attack these events, try to, you know, boo them down or shut them down or whatever, which is pretty heinous because there were kids there. So you wouldn't really want to show up and like yell and like traumatize the kids, but they do. And what's happened is the parents and other community members come and hold hands and create circles around the event and make it a safe space with their bodies. And that is really the way to make a, a you know, clear communication to that side that we are not going to let you take away these spaces and we are not going to grow your confidence because if nobody shows up, if they come and they can shut down an event, then they get confident to keep doing it and do it more, right? And get more people to join. If they can't because people show up, then they feel less confident to keep doing it. So it's the same thing with school boards. There's now school boards with one or two members that are very outspoken on these issues. And SEL, there's all kinds of myths about it. Social emotional learning, it runs the gamut from books that um, create acceptance for autism. All of my books are considered social emotional learning that are LGBTQIA inclusive. It also includes books about naming your emotions about consent, about, you know, um, how to handle your anger, about, you know, getting a new sibling and how do you understand that? It is everything related to everything social and emotional <laughs> for young children. So the people who are against it, I don't think they even understand. They think it's just books with like trans characters or something and they don't want their kids turning trans. I mean, it's, it's, the, the whole rhetoric, the whole like ideas around it are just all these myths and lies and whipping up fear. So mm -hmm. I, I think it really matters on a local level. I think, you know, packing school board meetings and speaking in favor of kids, you know, learning, being respected, being represented, creating inclusive spaces, learning to respect one another. It goes hand in hand with, you know, arguments about curriculum, how history is being taught. But the, the SEL part is especially disturbing because it's like a demand for toxic masculinity to be a solid part of our culture and yeah. all of the damage that comes along with that to the men and the people who know those men, right? So it's like, it's, it's a huge topic and it's too simple to just say, oh, I'm anti-SEL and then ban all the SEL books. So like in Florida, you can't you can't use the word um, inclusion in classrooms. You definitely can't talk about anything LGBTQIA plus, you know, related, inclusive, whatever. But even the word inclusion. So yeah. that it's it's taken to such a level where the parents are like rabid about it without really understanding what what it is that they're against. Right. And how it's going to affect their kids. So I, I think being public, showing up turning out. I don't think there's enough of that happening today. And we keep seeing really important things being taken away and people have to actually come together and voice their opinions. Right. Yeah. And, you know, both sides, one side does that really clearly, but like our side needs to do that 
too. <laughs> and we have more numbers. So we need to like, you know, come, come out again and, you know, hands across America all over again, right? Hands across America for SEL and inclusion and, you know, bodily autonomy and whatever, whatever you pick up, pick an issue, right? <laughs> so and I think it has reached that point. Um, as far as like, so I currently live in Arizona. I came here from New York. I originally was in New York where I didn't necessarily feel fearful when speaking out on certain topics. And then, so there were a couple of things like Arizona is an open carry state. And so I know people have guns and like literally yesterday I was standing in line to vote and the person in front of me kind of made it like super clear that he wasn't happy that I was there, like by taught by saying it really loudly over the phone to someone else. And like, on the one hand, like he was clearly talking about my husband and I, and like my husband wanted to like start something. He wanted to be like, Hey, you're ta you're literally on the phone right now, describing me and saying how I shouldn't get to vote. And like, I was just like, I'm not trying to get shot outside of the <laughs> outside of like where I have to go to vote to actually do some policy changes. But it's kind of reached that point where we have to put ourselves in those situations again and do it, try to do it as respect respectfully as possible so that we don't cause extra extra baggage on the topic. But, you know, because that's that's what they want, right? They want to see people crazy and screaming and like, and just mm -hmm. try to be respectful, but still keep coming out, keep being there, keep being in their faces, because if you're not doing anything, um, if you are not behaving in a manner where they have to feel fearful, they can never say it was like self-defense, you know? And sure, sure. But it's also it's not always safe if you're doing it as an individual or just you and your yeah. husband. Right. So we want to be safe. We know that, you know, the world is an unsafe place. So what, what I'm saying is, like, if a school board is going to have a meeting on whether or not to ban SEL curriculum that yeah. and you know that that you maybe get on the phone with all the other parents in your kid's class or in the whole grade or that you, that, you know, you know, think, thinks SEL is important and then go together. It's very different to have that meeting with 30 parents disagreeing and yeah. speaking in favor of SEL. It is so much easier if nobody shows up and the board members say what they think and then vote and it's over. So that's, that's what I mean. Like it really is about like our power is in our numbers. It always has been everything right from getting weekends to a 40 hour work week to bodily you know any kind of right civil rights healthcare rights i mean you name it it is and like a lot of the stuff is being taken away even if not formally even with voting a lot of people who historically were not allowed to vote still can't vote they're not on the list there's a detour in their neighborhood the gerrymandering is a real thing like so mm -hmm. You have to see like, oh, my gosh, like history is so important to know because, you know, how things were changed in the past. And then we can kind of say, oh, oh, that's what they did. Oh, maybe maybe we need to do that again. Oh, that seemed to work. <laughs> we should try that again. Right. So that and that, I think, becomes the um, 
the hope and the inspiration for the future, right? That's what keeps us from feeling really depressed and powerless. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, something that like to instill in our kids also is the sense of, you know, why it matters, right? What does it mean to be a change maker? But you're only, you know, as we know, as parents, you're only as effective of a leader if you have people following you, right? Like, you know, when you say, okay, family, let's go. And they don't leave the TV room. You're not really an effective leader because <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say, right? So you yeah. have to bring people with you. You have to, you know, have those conversations of why this is a problem and what we can do about it. And that that's the beauty, right? That's then we look back at like this amazing history, but it was created by people just like us. So, yeah. you know, I write the books to open the conversations in the classroom and create better spaces. And then those kids can feel confident and validated instead of depressed and lonely and isolated. And then they can go on to do incredible things. You know, middle school and high school kids are amazing. They get they get the importance of organizing and working together. Yeah. Middle class kids have been fighting dress codes, walking out over dress codes, walking out over gun violence. It's amazing. It's amazing. I get so excited when I get to talk to kids and see what they're doing. It's it's awesome. So I think adults, we really need to learn from kids. We really yeah. have a lot to learn from them these days. Yeah. And okay. So we've gone over an hour. So I want to give you a chance. So if anyone wants to reach out from you, to reach out to you, if they want to get the books, how do they do that? So my coaching, my homeschool coaching website is mlccoaching.com. So that's the easiest, but the, the Jamie series, um, the first book, which is sort of the, the most well-known, um, Jamie is Jamie. These yeah. are available on um, on Amazon, Free Spirit Publishing, publisher sells them. But if you have Prime discounts, whatever, Amazon has them too. If you would prefer to support the publisher, it's Free Spirit Publishing. And um, my Instagram, if you want to contact me directly, is um, meradian.absene. So if, I know it's hard to spell, but I think you can see it right there. Yeah. So it's blessing. I will definitely put the links everywhere so that people okay. can reach out. That's great. Yeah, I would love to continue this discussion with anyone that wants to, anyone that everyone that wants to. If you want to hate on what I'm saying, I might not respond, you know, to be <laughs> honest. But I feel like you're probably not going to watch this if you're not really liking what we're saying. So yeah, yeah no, but I anything, you know, questions people have about anything at all, parenting, whatever homeschooling, anything, 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 the books, whatever. And I love to, to do readings and do visits and get to talk to kids and read the books. And I don't charge for that because people buy the book. So I don't need to get paid for that. So, you know, if, you know, you'd like me to talk to your class or parents at a school or anything at all, I think the more discussions that we get to have, the, the faster we can move things in a more positive direction. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And do you just do that? Because I know that you live in New York, right? Do you just do that in New York? Or are you willing to come to other states and cities? Well, I mean, I think virtual visits are a really awesome thing that we're doing now. I mean, if, I, if I'm not getting paid, then I have to pay for a plane ticket and housing. Oh. And all. So that's like a little, I don't really have a budget. I wish I was independently wealthy, but I'm not. But I can definitely 
be all over the world from my computer. So um, can definitely do virtual visits. And I, I do go, I, I go in between, I go to New York City, I'm from New York City. And then I leave when the weather gets bad. And I'm in Oaxaca, Mexico, because I love better weather. So that's my, <laughs> that's how I've set up my life. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, can go anywhere, budget permitting. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that there can be some hesitancy around having discussions about this, but we can also frame it in terms of gender inclusion, and then it can kind of go wherever it needs to go um, and just, or just playing, right? The importance of play. And then from there, it goes to the importance of gender neutral play and, you know, liberatory play. So it's, you know, there's definitely, definitely ways to get approval from, you know, administrators, you know, people that are, have to be very word conscious, right? There's definitely ways to, to deal with that. So, um, yeah, no, I, I love to do that stuff. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And if anyone has any questions, I'm going to direct them to you. If you're watching this now or watching this on the replay, I hope you found something in it that speaks to you and please like, share, subscribe, um, make sure that this gets out and that the people who need to see it, see it. Uh, thank you so much, so, so much for being here. I really appreciate you. You gave so many good, uh, so much good information and tips and so many things I, I did not know about. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you so much, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Ha have an amazing night. And um, if you need to uh, reach out, please make sure I will share all of her links, but make sure to reach out to Afsane. Uh, you can always reach me, Galit Speaks, uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, any of the platforms. If you ask me a question, I will answer and I will make sure to get you her information as well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night.